Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys here this morning. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and they'll get you one. Someone will get you one. Hold your hand up and they'll get it to you. And we're continuing our series entitled Songs of Life. We've been in this series for uh, over a month now. And what we are doing is going through the Psalms. And as we are going through the Psalms, we are looking at how they speak to different areas in our life. They speak to us in times of joy. They speak to us in times of sadness, in times that challenge us. And throughout this book, we find little segments that refer to our lives. It's amazing how music does that. That's why there's such a, a wide genre of music. You have everything from the love songs. You have the songs that are a rebellion. We're not going to take it. Oh, that just was the 80s flashback. Sorry, trying to get that out of my mind. We have all these things that come into our lives, the songs that represent different areas of our life. And when I asked at the beginning in our little seven-minute party, what was the home that you liked the most? Usually the reason we like a home is because of the memories that are developed there, because of the time that is there and that time being rich with events, usually with people. And that's what makes that time rich and that home important to us, whether it's the fun we had as a kid or watching our kids grow up. It's the time that is spent there that we enjoy that makes that a home. And we're going to look at how important it is to build the right home today. And so turn to Psalm 127. Again, this is a song of ascent, one of 15 songs that were sung as the people would gather for the three feasts throughout the year to Jerusalem. All the people who were sojourners and wanderers who were out and scattered abroad would gather to the capital, to Jerusalem, for these feasts. And these would be songs that they would sing. That's why they're short. They were to be songs that were remembered. They were songs that were sung as the priests were going into the temple. And this specific psalm was written, they believe, by Solomon, at least attributed to him. And it's fitting the one who actually built the temple would have a song that is being sung as people are journeying through the temple. And it's a short psalm. Let's read it, starting at verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponent in court. And so here is a song, and it talks about the necessity of the Lord building the house. 
It's important to understand what the word house means. Because for us, it means house. It's where you live, that, that home, that structure. But here, house is actually more of a, a dispensation, a period of time, or a lineage, or a family, the house of David. It's talking about all those people who are part of that house, which would be that dispensation of people. And so when he's talking about, unless the Lord build the house, he's not talking about a structure, he's talking about really a, a future. He's talking about a, a dispensation of time. And so, unless the Lord builds that, they that labor, labor in vain. And so the question for us, an important one is, well, then how does the Lord build the house? What, what is it that causes God to actually be the one who builds the house? What does that mean? Because what the psalmist isn't saying here is that don't do anything, God has to do it. He's just saying that if you labor, but the labor isn't, with the Lord, then it's in vain. It's not don't do anything. You still have something to do. You still have to be a part of this work. But if God's not a part of this work, the labor is in vain. And so the question is, what is this work? And unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. And again, a city would be that which was built up and protected by walls and you would have those people standing at watch to make sure if anyone was coming they could announce hey we're being attacked summon the troops blow the horn you know do all those things that are necessary so that we can gather and fight but it doesn't matter if they're watchful it doesn't matter if you have the troops if the lord isn't a part of this if the lord isn't watching over the city then they stand and watch in vain and again, it's talking about the future will either be that of lasting legacy or something that doesn't last and is in vain. And it's something that reminds us very clearly of Matthew chapter 7. And so if you can, turn with me there. A story we're familiar with where Jesus is talking. And in verse 24, he says, Therefore... Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And so Jesus here gives us another example of what this story is, this house. And what he is saying is that it has to be someone who is actually putting into practice the things that Jesus has said. It's not just someone who hears those things. It's someone who actually puts into practice. And so we can look at this. The Lord building the house is someone who is putting into practice the things that the Lord has made known. 
the things that Jesus has said, the things that Scripture has given us understanding of. The person whose house is going to stand is the person who implements that kind of life. And the psalmist is saying, unless the Lord builds the house, in other words, unless that is the guidelines that we go by, then our labor is in vain. If we're not investing in doing the things that God has set out, then we're going to find that we're building on sand and that it doesn't last and it doesn't matter how many people you put on watch and it doesn't matter how much money you make and it doesn't matter how much family time you have if it's not putting into practice things that the Lord has implemented then it's in vain. Now, why? Aren't these other things good? Can't there be other things that are good? Why is he saying that unless the Lord builds it? Well, we have to understand that God is not talking just about how we act. He's talking about being connected to him, to, to life. He's talking about what our lives are really made up of. And it's real important that we recognize those things and put it into practice. You see, for the Jewish mind, life consisted of the legacy. Who was going to come along after me? It wasn't just about how much you had. It was really about your children. And that's why the second part of this psalm almost seems like, what's he talking about now? Children are a heritage of the Lord. How does that connect to if the Lord builds a house? Well, because in the Hebrew mind, for a person's house to continue, there had to be children. In fact, in Genesis chapter 15, this is after Abram goes and saves Lot. And then it says that, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. So, so God is speaking to Abram in a vision. Listen to what God says. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Okay, if God were to tell you he's your shield and very great reward, what would you think that reward was? Abraham's immediate response is, but Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? God, what's my reward? I don't have children. See, we might think, oh, if I had money, that's a reward. Or if I had property or if I had whatever, fill in the blanks. But you see, what Abraham was thinking is, what's my reward if there's nothing that lives on? What is the reward you can give me if I will just leave it in the hands of of a stranger. In other words, my house will not continue. And, and so in this mindset, I want you to think of a house as something that lives on, a legacy that continues, not something that you just get, not just a great thing that you've done, but something that lives on past you. And here in this passage of scripture, it is talking about 
that kind of dispensation, that kind of legacy. And that's why it moves on to this area of children, where it says, children are a heritage from the Lord. And this is going to be important that we make some clarity here, because I know not all of us have a quiver full of children. Some of us don't. Some of us do. Some of us wish we didn't. Some of us wish we did. It goes all those ways. And you see, it's not so much that anytime you have kids, it's a blessing. Can anyone give an amen to that? Sometimes it's not always a blessing. So he's not talking about, yeah, just have kids, have a bunch of kids. What, what he's trying to convey here is this legacy that lives on. And I want you to see that there is a work that God is doing that is eternal and that moves on. And, and see, this becomes a lot more clear, too, when we start seeing the importance of the family to the Hebrew culture and this idea of the house, and this idea of legacy, and this idea of this is how you live on, and why it was so important. And then when you hear things like what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, you can turn with me there. Starting at verse 46. I love this passage. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. There's one passage that says they came to Jesus because they thought he'd lost his mind. Thanks, family. You always get that family support. And Jesus says, those who are doing the will of my father, those are my mother, my brother. That is my family. In fact, go also to Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He says, You have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So another example where Jesus says, my family, the one who can be called God's children, are the ones who act like this. And it says to love their enemies. And I know what we usually do when we say love our enemies, we think of, you know, the people who do uh, horrific things, who go into schools and shoot children or, or blow up, 
you know, innocent people or, you know, countries and these kinds of things, terrorists. But Jesus isn't talking about just those kinds of people. He's talking about the people around you who you don't like. And he says, love them. You see, it's real easy as for, easy for us to point to the things that are far away and say, well, I don't know about that. But what if it's not the terrorist in another country? What if it is your family member who you don't like the way they're living? What if that is the enemy? And that's the challenge to us, the people who are close to us, not the people who are far. I'm finding the more that I talk with people who have struggles, with addictions and and other areas in their lives that are problematic that they can't get over. And I start talking with them, I find that they're always engaged and just adamant about things that are far off. Things about the government, things about these other countries, things about, you know, the president, things about, oh, the, the evils that are done. And they're so concerned about these things that they aren't really having an effect on, but they can't manage their own lives, those things that are close to them. But it's easy to put all my attention on things that are distant. But when it comes to, well, what about acting this way with the people you know, the people who are around you? What about changing who you are with those who you interact with on a regular basis? Because if you will love them, then you will be children of my Father who's in heaven. Then you will be connected to the legacy then you will allow the Lord to build the house. Then you will not watch in vain because now you are connected to the legacy. So if you don't have children, don't feel bad and think, oh no, this this psalm is for someone else. No, this is ours. Because we've been adopted into this family. And Paul would say to Timothy, my child in the faith. And Jesus says, this is my mother and my brothers. And those who do the will of my father, those who love their enemies, they are the children of God. This is the new legacy that we are living, that we are building and that we are continuing in. And it's important that we understand this, that we are connected to this legacy, that it's not something that's distance, it's something that's here and close by to us. The psalm says in verse 2, that in vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. He grants sleep to those he loves. And again, what it's talking about is having security in God. In Matthew 6, Jesus talks about, why do you worry? Look at the birds. They don't sow, they don't reap, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Not one of them falls to the ground without your Father's notice. Aren't you more valuable than many birds? Look at the flowers. Solomon in all his splendor wasn't adorned like one of them. And yet they're here today and then taken up and thrown into the fire. Aren't you more valuable than them? And so we are 
concluding to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added unto you. In other words, there's the priority. If God is a part of your future, if he is a part of your life, you can sleep and rest assured he's going to care for you. He's going to watch over the city. He's going to care for your life. And so there's this hope and this promise that comes with this understanding. Philippians 4 tells us that we're not to be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving to make our requests known to God. And that the peace of God that is beyond all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You see, this is the legacy for those who are his children, those who do his will, those who walk in his ways, those who love as he loves, they can have rest, they can have assurance, they can talk to him and trust him and his peace will reign in their hearts and minds and in their lives. And if the Lord builds this house, it's not a labor in vain. And so are we building into this house? Is this legacy continuing and I guess we should ask ourselves how maybe we're not building this house because I think we we get some skewed ideas on what that looks like okay how does the Lord build our house if it's not just me doing nothing then what do I do okay I'm supposed to love I'm supposed to keep God's commands and follow after the things and do the things that Jesus said, like love. And I'm supposed to represent him in my life and all these things, trusting in him. But what does it look like when I don't do that? What does that look like? Does that mean I have to, you know, always be, you know, reciting Bible verses? Does it mean I'm always having to to be praying? Does it mean I'm always having to, to do religious activities? And again, what we start doing is putting the life farther away and it's always wanting to draw near. I remember going to one uh, worship conference and I think it was in 2007. It was the last one I went to. And I remember going there and one of the speakers stood up and he said, I will never sing another love song except to Jesus because nothing else is worthy of my love except for Jesus. And I remember as he was saying that, everyone was all applauding, and I was thinking, there's that whole song of songs in there in the Bible that was really directed towards a woman. I wonder what God thinks about that. I just felt like, you know, this was a posture in being holy, but it was also unreal in connection with, the life around us. And and I think we can do that many times. And and so as he starts writing, children are a heritage of the Lord and has a quiverful, you know, I, I, I think it's important to understand what the meaning was for them writing this, the importance of having children that they could continue the agricultural work that they used to survive But I think it's important for us to also understand that this relationship with other people is an important thing to God. 
and that the house that God wants to build is going to include other people in it. And we have to involve ourselves in the lives of other people. And so it's not just me reading more. It's not just me praying more. It's not just me doing things to make myself more pious. It's actually me living in connection with other people in a way that brings them also to this understanding of God and enables them and helps them and shows God's love to them. Even the ones I don't like, even those that I would consider my enemy, even those who irritate me, even those that smell a little weird, and even those who talk a little colorful, and even those who, you fill in the blanks. Those are the people we are to engage in and love. That's where we are supposed to be acting like the children of God. Because God is always doing a work within people. And you see, the house that God is building, it's a house with purpose. It's a house that's considerate of others. It's a house that is not selfish and not self-centered. And what I don't want us to become as a community is a church that's just about us. I mean, we have things that are for us. We have our love feasts once a month where we remember in communion, where we enjoy the food and, and there's always great food that's there and we have a great time. I, all for those things. But this isn't just about us. If we're not caring about the world around us, then we're, we're just becoming selfish. And we're not really allowing the Lord to build the house. And our community will only last as long as we live, and our family, maybe. But if the Lord builds the house, if we're concerned with those others, then it will continue on and on. There's a certain passage, two passages, that I want to look at. And I think we can get an idea of how the Lord is at work. One is in Genesis chapter 11. A story we're familiar with. The Tower of Babel. It says, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, Let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So, strange event. The people are all gathering together. And when it says they're going to build a a tower to heaven and they're going to be a people among themselves not needing anything, the whole idea of this is we do not need God. We are self-sufficient. We are going to establish ourselves and make ourselves 
the own rule. We're not going to deal with the rule of God. We have become our own people. And so they were all able to communicate these things. And God says, well, let's mix it up a little bit. And so then he gave them all different languages. And so blame God when you talk to that person on the telephone who's trying to help you fix something. Or get that. Why don't you speak English? It's funny when we went to the UK and we were in Wales, everyone there had an accent, you know. And, and it was like, no, we don't have an accent. And oh, you, you're from America. How are they talking? And they're like, how do you know? It's your accent. I don't have an accent. You guys have the accent. And so, and that's people who speak the same language. I remember asking one gentleman in England for directions. Excuse me, sir, do you know how to get to the Westminster Abbey? And he went, oh, yeah, here, oh, here, oh, oh. And I was like, oh, gosh, I don't know what he just said. He's like, okay, thanks, hey, cheerio. You know, I mean, it's just like, go, they had no idea. And so these people now are confounded. They can no longer communicate. And God's purpose is saying, you're not about yourselves. I'm not going to allow this to continue. You're going to have to learn how to deal with each other in different ways. And I'm going to spread you out so that you can't become so self-focused that you don't recognize your need for me. Now, what's amazing to me, and I just think interesting, is in this chapter of Genesis, God comes down and he confuses the languages. Turn with me now to Acts chapter 2. Starting at verse 5. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judah and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and part of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, how can these things be? What does it mean? Isn't it amazing that at one point when people were so consumed in wanting to alienate themselves from God, God confused the language. And then when it was time to get something done for the world, for the benefit of people, God brought in this understanding of all languages that God actually now brings in a common purpose. And this was so that people could declare the wondrous works of God, which was Jesus and God's love for them. And now God says, this is something to rally around. This is a house that I want you to be part of the building. Not that stone, not your own tower about your own things. This is the work. This is the life I want you to build. This is how the Lord is going to build his house. If you build your own house, make your own tower of Babel, it will come to nothing. But if the Lord builds the house, your work isn't in vain. It is lasting, it is enduring, and it's rewarding. 
So the work of the Lord is how we allow him to build the house, allowing his life and love to be seen in us, caring for people the way he did, bringing the good news of who Jesus is, good news to them, setting people free from a life that is self-centered and very egocentric and narcissistic and very dark and liberating them to a life that is full of love and concern for others and that is integrated with all of humanity but not for themselves but to help others along and now we find out that this is a life and this is the house that the Lord builds. And so when the psalmist says, unless the Lord builds the house, they that labor in vain, we have to ask ourselves, is this dispensation of my life, is this legacy of my life about me, or is it the Lord's work taking place in and through me? Because the Lord is going to build his house through people. God always works through people. The human element is how God has and it will always be working. And so if the Lord is building the house, are you a part of that work? And if not, the invitation is to be there. You're invited to be a part of what house the Lord is building so that it will be enduring and it won't be in vain. You'll look at the end and say, this life was worth living. We have the purpose, we have the author of life who is now sustaining and giving us hope and life so that we can continue on the work. We have a new house that God has given to us. And so let the Lord be a part of our lives and allow him to build the legacy of our lives. Let's pray. Lord, for years I would read this passage and I would want you to build the house, but I just didn't know what that looked like. But Lord, you build your house through your people that we are now the stones that are used to build your house. And Lord, to be a part of your work, we need to listen and put into practice the things that you've said. Lord, we need to be people who love and people who care, people who engage in the people around us. We're, we're not called to be a group that just puts up our walls and meets and sings our own songs and does our own do our own things. We're we're called to be a light to the world, a city set on a hill. We're, we're here to be used for your purposes. This is your house that you're building, and we get to be part of it. And Lord, none of us wants to live in vain. None of us want to come to the end of our life and look back and say, what was that for? And not have something that is a value that presses on. And the value that we leave, Lord, isn't the money. And it's not the amount of children. The value we leave 
is the good that we are able to implement in the people around us. It is in loving those around us. It is in caring for those around us. It is being able to give to them hope that does not fade away. And so I pray that your desires would be our desires, that we would get an understanding, Lord, this isn't something that we have to do. This is something that we get to do. We get to be a part of something that is good, fulfilling, and lasting. Something that is not in vain. And Lord, if if we feel at this point we are not living lives that are valued, uh, lives that have enduring promises or hope, if we find ourselves with sleepless nights and, and worry and not able to hold on to peace. May we align ourselves with you and allow you to be our peace. And I pray, Father, you'd bring clarity into these words so that we can take steps in the right direction to help us bring healing to our own souls and truth to the lives of those around us. Lord, maybe we just need a little wake-up call. We need to get off of our break and back to work into a work that has value that will last. Give us understanding of what that looks like in each of our lives, Lord. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.